0: Hi, this is Paul. I want to talk a little bit about Ian McGilchrist, Autism, the Internet. Autism is a very interesting thing. There's, there's a ton, there are a ton of videos on autism. This one came through uh, Grim Grizz's channel, and she begins... Three, Simon Baron-Cohen, a clinical psychologist at the University of Cambridge, claimed that Albert Einstein had autism. Elon Musk has said he has Asperger's syndrome, and if you ask Google, you'll find many lists of famous people who supposedly have autism, usually
1: with the preamble, though he was never diagnosed. It's been attributed to Mark Zuckerberg,
0: Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and Eminem, none of whom ever said anything to deny or confirm it. What's going on? Why does everyone suddenly have autism? That question's interesting, why does everyone suddenly have autism? To me, the question really gets interesting when you connect it with Ian McGilchrist. And he just said something briefly on this, kind. Con- I had said something on a video about autism, and then the vid- his conversation with Rupert Sheldrake came out and he said this.
1: People, and maybe that is to do with the uh, the brain, <laughs> that, that some people, especially people with autism, um and uh who are something like a, a 10 times more likely to be atheistic um it, it, the normal brain is actually allowing us to if we will not suppress it to experience the sort of things that you're talking about
0: and you know going back to my idea that now McGilchrist has done it. He's you can find him a lot on YouTube. He's done a lot of great interviews. He recently had that really terrific conversation with Smackenberger and Verveke, and one was just released with uh, Damian Walter, which I think is a because is, in humor is a really good one. I want to remember this twenty-eight here. But what he gives what he gives at the beginning is probably. It's always so hard evaluating what is the what, what was the best time that Ian McGilchrist summed up this massive amount of work that he's done. If you see the books that are the matter with things, they're an enormous books. I haven't bought them because I don't want to buy them if I'm not going to read them. And doing the audiobook just seems nuts. So it's a massive effort, and he's been doing all sorts of videos. But it could be that the more I listen to it, the better I understand it, or it could be that the more he says it, the better he gets at saying it, or it could be that both of those things are true at the same time. But I thought he gave—I thought he gave—Damian uh, Walter one of the best versions of his little talk.
2: Uh, and then the matter of things is the extended philosophy.
0: I think that's a good
1: way of putting it. The only thing I would add to that is that. Um, I, I explored literature that wasn't available when I first was writing The Master and His Um And so in The matter with Things, I include a great deal more neuropsychological evidence. I think there are, it's about 6,000 okay. papers and sources that are referred to there, so nobody can say there's no evidence. Oh. That doesn't stop some people saying that without having looked at my books. but. Uh, it, it, I'm trying to get beyond beyond that. <laughs> so yes, it is, and it's it's saying what the philosophical import of all this is.
2: Uh, I, I, in a in a second, I'm going to ask you to give your 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 summary, I guess, which y- you must be very used to to <laughs> doing by now. Yes.
0: now. Now, part of why it's really cool that McGillchrist is on Damien Walter's channel is because if you go back. I don't know if I have a Damien Walters playlist or not, but Walters, I think, better than many have been understanding the role of mythos and technology and science with his focus on science fiction and the interesting the interesting relationship between fantasy and science fiction, both of which have sort of captured our story verse in the West for the last 20-30 years Star Wars Lord of the Rings Harry Potter Marvel Cinematic Universe these have these have become deeply resonant with a lot of people and I think Walters is right that because of the influence of technology and the disruption of technology we it's a big piece of us trying to fit the world together now one of the interesting things about McGillchrist with his left brain, right brain thing is that in some ways it maps onto the beginning. So I, I mentioned the previous video, I had lunch with this pastor, and, and very, very much I got to do a video about the corner again, just sort of some more definitions. Um, you know, he's not following any of this. He doesn't watch many of my videos. He knows about estuary. You know, he's a friend and he's a colleague, so he knows some of what's been going on, but you know, by no means following all of this stuff. But he just decided to pick up Maps of Meaning and start reading it. And it was, you know, it it was quite impressed, at least by the introduction. And he said, as I go in, I can tell it's going to get... I said, yeah, it's kind of a tortured book. But Peterson begins with basically a world of objects. And in many ways... McGilchrist's point is that we have developed a collective. So how, how, do, how do human beings do the things that we do? How are we communal and productively communal in the way that we are that, um, that you've all Harari video is making its way through Twitter about stories being fictitious. I retweeted it. It's interesting in that, of course, you can find how many new atheists on YouTube. I remember even Alex O'Connor when he's talking about fiction and Jordan Peterson talking about fiction, that's sort of a scoffing because it's like this, and this is McGill Chris' point, this right brain, this let's say this emissary brainism See, I always get the right and left mixed up. Dyslexic that I am. This emissary brainism is is sort of capturing the culture. And it it makes it difficult for... It makes it difficult for... McGilchrist's thesis is, of course, that this is a disability in the culture. I'll say it that way. That a lot of our problems are because of this.
2: Um, I think one of the uh, the, um, the important points is that this does have these very deep uh, roots in scientific research in in various areas that you have mm. crossed into. Uh, so that separates it from the kind of the pop culture idea yes. of, of hemispheres yes, uh, which people are, are quite familiar with and then have also heard, it is no longer valid. Yes. Uh, so that's something to, to say that this goes significantly beyond that yes. idea, yeah. and also it, it has a lot of similarities to a, a, a long history of, of thinking about the world that we might think of through the mythos or even through religions, or
1: hmm. uh,
2: and perhaps even ideas today. Like you've talked with people about John Vavakia about meaning and so on. Hmm. So it. It crosses into all of these areas, but yours seems to be uh, the most scientifically rigorous of them. Is that fair, do you think?
1: I think so, yes. And it's not only that I, um, Mm. you know, take up this unpopular issue of hemisphere difference, but I come to quite different conclusions from the ones that made their way into popular culture. So the first hurdle I always have to get over is, Oh, all that stuff about hemispheres was exploded long ago. It's pop science and it's nonsense. Well, mm-hmm. it's true that most of, not all, but most of what was said about hemisphere differences was wrong. Um, but perhaps I could explain what I think is important about the difference. Please do. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Um, first of all, it it's a very um, evolutionarily verifiable hypothesis, if you like. The, the idea is that the two hemispheres of the brain evolved differently, not just in human beings, but in pretty much all creatures we've looked at, to solve a particular problem, which is how to pay two kinds of attention to the world at the same time. One kind of attention is required for survival in the simplest sense, that we need to get stuff, we need to grab food, we need to catch a rabbit, we need to pick up a seed, whatever it is. And we need also to be able to manipulate our environment to pick things up and build things and, and use tools and so on in the case of human beings. So, in fact, as far, as far back as we can go in history, 700 million years, we know that the neural networks that formed the ancestors of the human brain were asymmetrical, which is interesting in itself. Why were they asymmetrical? And I think the reason for this was that, as I say, two kinds of attention need to be paid. One is the one with which we grab things, and this is the one subtended by us, uh, in us, by the left hemisphere. And it, it, it therefore pays attention to something that we already know what it is, we know we want it, and we need to get it. And so it focuses in a targeted way, a very narrow beam of attention that brings clarity. But the difficulty with this is that it is not seeing everything else that's going on at the same time. And so, in order to survive, you also need to be looking out for predators—not just predators, but also for your 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 kin, for your your offspring, for your mate, um, for your kind.
0: Uh, and, and right there, you get a sense of so you need to target, and you need a map, and you need the, an updatable map, a live map. And so, you're always working on both of these things. And and it's interesting too, especially in cultures now where people aren't looking out for predators, they are looking out for other kinds of predators, and they are working out there as they're targeting in here. But, but both of these things are connected. And to do this, you need precisely the opposite kind of
1: attention. Maximally open, un, un sort of uh, undedicated yet as to what it may find and broad, sustained, and on the lookout, vigilant. So very different from this attention. I know what it is, I want to get it It's a detail. The, the, the right hemisphere is looking out for the whole of the rest of it. So the one thing that was probably true about what people used to say was that the left hemisphere had um, a narrow attention and the right hemisphere a broad attention. And that's not disputed by anyone in the world. I mean, it's a, it's a very well-attested fact. But what people were not aware of so much was that attention creates the experiential world. What we find to be there depends on the
0: kind of attention we pay. Okay. So now when he says that, very quickly you're in Jonathan Peugeot land. Because you can hear Jonathan Peugeot say make that point again and again, attention creates our world. Attention creates our world. And we'll get into a bunch of things that we've talked about on this channel. And there are many amusing uh,
1: experiments that have been done uh, in recent years um, showing that we're completely blind to something we don't expect to see. Um, And so uh, what, what follows for me is that these kinds of attention give rise to two different kinds of phenomenological worlds. What are they like? In a nutshell, the left hemisphere sees things that are already known, familiar, fixed, isolated, fragmentary, decontextualized, and examples of a kind, a category. Not
0: unique, but oh, it's one of those. And-, and what's interesting is if you sort of pay attention to the way you pay attention, you can see this. Um, I'll, I started out this channel talking about the monarchical vision. It's a, it's a view from nowhere. It's seeing a world of objects. It's looking at manipulables. You know, if you're teaching kids math, you almost give them manipulables. You know, little things that they can put together, and you know, have two of them. Nah, now you've you know, one and one make two, and so you give little kids. You know, if you're homeschooling them or you're teaching them school, you give them these things. So it's it's a world of it's a world that tends to major in certain kinds of abstraction because it's decontextualized. It's um, and and we, we image this in different ways.
1: This kind of abstracted thinking is um, a a useful tool, but it's not very good for constructing reality. The right hemisphere sees something much more complex. It sees a world in which nothing is completely uh, fully known, is never completely fixed, is never completely isolated, but is ultimately in connection with everything else.
0: Now, this is a world of persons. So if we take a look at um, at Pascal's, something I've been using for a long time, Pascal's, um, we've got the we've got the spirit of geometry. That's the emissary brain, and we've got the we've got the um, the spirit of finesse. That's the master brain. So you've got these two approaches to the world, and and they're both critically important you can't eat without the emissary brain because you're not going to see food and be able to get it into your mouth in fact a little baby if you if you set a once the baby gets to a certain age you set that baby in the high chair maybe you put Cheerios in front of that baby and that baby will start figuring out how to do that baby put a lot of things in its mouth you watch dogs do this you watch a lot of creatures do this but but you've got the master you've got the emissary brain and the master brain and so you've got the spirit of geometry, it's calculation, it's targeting, and the spirit of finesse. And that's really a spirit of persons.
1: It's flowing, it's changing, it's um, often implicit. It, 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 the right hemisphere is much better, sorry, this is by right hemisphere, um at picking up... Um, See, he does it too. The stuff that is... Hard to detect uh, uh, with the kind of conscious mind. So small changes in expression in the face, uh, aspects of tone of voice, Mm -hmm. irony, um,
0: meta. If you pay attention to people on the autism spectrum, these are exactly the things they struggle with. Tone of voice, facial expressions, emotions. This is all the world of the spirit of finesse. This is all the personal world. They can accelerate at all of the details, and the, and the especially if the relationships are sort of one-to-one. And, and so very quickly you can see sort of the, the emissary brain is about science and logic and targeting and a world of objects and reduce the world to this so we can manage and control it and we can, we can go our way with it. This other world of, of finesse, of persons, of subtlety. Mm, that's difficult. That's sort of, the, that's sort of the, the, the world that the autistic struggle with.
1: The the language of poetry, the language of myth, it's much better at understanding the meaning of a story, whereas the left hemisphere sees it as a simply a sequence of vignettes. It doesn't understand the overall import of what's going on. So those are really quite different worlds.
0: Okay, so it doesn't understand the overall import of what's going on. That's an extremely master-brain way of talking because when when you try to, the overall import of what's going on, what exactly do you mean? Now the, the Now, the emissary brain will try to make lists, let's say, because lists are very, you know, full of things, full of objects, full of little Amazon boxes, full of manipulables that you can move around. The import of what's going on. Now, I keep pointing out in videos that I was thinking about this, thinking about the, the the Peterson-Verveke video, thinking about part of what religious systems do is, is take some of the master brain and, and and put some emissary language on it. And you really need to do this in terms of scale, scaling. Now, very early in my relationship with John Verveke, when I watched him start his project, I really challenged him. I said, you know, John, there's a lot of people with high IQs and who are very master-brained, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna get your work, and they're gonna really enjoy it. Um, they're very high and open. You know, they've long since left the church. They've left legacy religions. They're just sort of out there, floating in the world. And but that population is pretty small. In terms of the majority of people in the world well it's going to have to it's going to have to scale and and what you have of course story is sort of the way that you do this mythos is the way that you they begin this conversation talking about the fact that in the ancient world logo seemed a smaller thing than mythos logo seemed the emissary brain mythos was the master brain we can let's say that don't don't hold me to it too tightly so, so so, you've got these, you've got these things going. And, and again, keep autism in mind as we keep talking about this. And my thesis mm. is that the world
1: that we're in now has come to depend very heavily on this very simple um, mechanistic, um, theoretical vision of the world. A distinction I like to make is between presence and a representation. And a representation means literally present again after the fact when it's actually no longer present. So the-
0: that When he said that, lights went off in my head. Is Oh, wow, that's really helpful.
1: The world is present in all its richness and complexity and intuitive meaning that can never be fully
0: grasped to the right. Okay, but remember combinatorial explosiveness. The world is present, but we have to reduce it. And so... The master and the emissary brains are working together. The master, the master brain, is in some ways directing attention. Look at that! Oh, emissary brain takes it. Look at that! Oh, emissary brain takes it. And so, if they're working together well, they're then you know it's sort of like the um, the boss and the manager, okay. So the the leader and the manager. The leader establishes direction. The manager figures out how to. In churches, you'll have the senior pastor and then the executive pastor. You'll have the captain of the ship and the XO, the executive officer. And the captain of the ship will say, This is where we're going. And the XO, I don't know if ships actually work this way, um, but you know, navigate the course, figure out if we've got enough fuel, you know, do do all of the details. But this is the direction. And so you can see the relationship between the two. Hemisphere, which
1: is an expert at decoding it.
0: And the left hemisphere
1: instead replaces mm. reality with its own simple map of reality. Now a map is not to be despised. A map is mm. very useful. But when you mistake a map for the world, you've made a huge error. And I believe that's where we now are. I'd just like to add that, in the ways in which we can come to a sense of what we can rely on, we need to be using, I would say, at least four things. These seem to me the primary paths to reality. One is science, another is reason, a third is imagination, and a fourth is intuition. And we live in an era in which imagination and intuition have been sort of tarnished as false.
0: You should have probably put those at the head of the list because implicit in our master brain things are just like if you're, let's say, reading the Bible. First things in lists are important because they stand out because they're first. You might say, well, it doesn't make any difference. You're gonna hit all fall. Oh no, they go in different ways. Now I wanna jump ahead to um, to another point. Um, primitive in, in the universe.
2: There's so much, so much rich rich stuff in there in in relation to this this topic. Um, there's there's something that that I've observed and it's quite widely observed, often a, among writers of science fiction, which is that the the kind of the collective imagination is more and more literal in its interpretation of any story mm. that that's given to it. Absolutely. Uh, so for for any for, for any half decent.
0: I played tricks on Twitter asking if uh, Mount Doom was literally a volcano. And um, some people understood where I was going. See, I wouldn't... See, it's more and more physical, physical correspondentist, reductive. See, literal is is as a term is problematic because literal to a degree has representation all already built into it. And what it fails to understand is exactly that point that McGilchrist made about representation a minute before.
2: Writer, if you're writing about uh, space rockets and planets and alien civilizations, there's some level on which you're exploring kind of scientific ideas, but there's also the symbolic and the metaphoric and uh, the mythic in there as well. But it's harder and harder for people to to think in that way at the moment.
1: Absolutely. I mean, one of the most striking things Mm. for me is that the left hemisphere doesn't understand anything that is not literal. So it really doesn't understand the point of poetry. Why Mm. lie when you could say it clearly? Uh, It doesn't understand music. It doesn't understand irony. It doesn't understand sarcasm. It doesn't understand wit or humor. And so what you find is that people take everything incredibly literally um, and miss the point. So
0: um, I miss the point. Well, well, what is the point? Well, I can't put the point into a point. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? And, And again, when you think about the sumum bonum, but I, I don't like using that term because that term is going to be lost on a lot of people, not everyone. But, you know, you sit down and you have a conversation, you have a sense in your, in your master brain of, okay, this is this is going to somehow be pointing to getting us towards on the way to that which we all desire but cannot talk about. It was fun listening to Alex O'Connor wrestle a little bit with Richard Dawkins about C.S. Lewis's argument from desire. And and what was fascinating about that was that Alex O'Connor keeps pushing the point and Dawkins doesn't get it. It's almost as if um, Dawkins can't, in certain realms, get music, poetry, all of these things that are very much master-brained. And of course, this is a biologist, but apparently the biologist biologist who understands memetics to a degree so it's just it's just fascinating how he couldn't get it but this is part of cs lewis's point about the argument from desire that the master brain has a sense of it the master brain basically by working with the emissary brain might not be able to figure out how to talk about it well they might try to represent it, but this is part of the reason why our representations are often in poetry or or story. I was watching, so my wife and I had watched Yellowstone, and we had watched most of it, but then they had this big break in the middle of season five, and you know Kevin Costner, I don't know, didn't want to do it anymore or something like that. So all this mess, so they didn't finish it. So there's more episodes on now. So I, oh, let's shall we? You know, should we just jump in and watch the last episodes or should we go back all the way through it? And so she and I haven't had an interesting time going through it because, of course, we've seen most of it. And so we're watching these characters in a sense with, um, we we know a lot more than the first time we watched it. Because I remember watching it for the first time and these characters are acting strange. No, they're not really acting strange because now that I know most of the story, it's a fairly well-written extended story. Well this is why these two don't get along. This is why she treats him so horribly. This is why these two are lovers. That doesn't seem to make any sense. This is why because you know we've seen more of the story. It's like, "Oh, uh, okay. So we get a sense of the the psychology beneath it." Uh, Few weeks ago I found a channel. I subscribed to them. I don't know if I can even find it right now. I don't feel like looking for it right now because time is short, but this channel did a very in-depth analysis of white lotus and and in a lovely video showed many of the layers beneath white lotus. And again, we we have this we have this experience where the emissary brain can't calculate it. The emissary brain is just watching the characters on the screen, and we can quickly reduce it to propositions. This is what he said. This is what he did in a very physical correspondent way. But the master brain is watching and saying, there's more going on here, and I'm holding its attention. The master brain is the attention director, and the emissary brain, if it's doing its job, will be, okay, I'll take that, and I'll process it, and I'll catalog it. Just keep keep pointing me to things, and I'll keep processing and cataloging and remembering, But but but... See, once the once the emissary brain starts directing, you're going to have problems. And again, this was well talked about in the Verveke-Smackdenberger-McGilchrist conversation. But you, you get a sense of this. Now I'm going to switch gears probably to someplace you didn't think I was going. But for me, it's part of, part of what provoked this video for me, especially with respect to autism. So a couple of, a few weeks ago, I, I did a video on home math. Because I know some people are watching Home Math and they're really getting into it. And so, and their videos are super short, but boy, this channel is blowing up. So, you know, already almost done, almost up to 300,000 subs. So it's just, it's just whooshing right now. And I watch this channel and it's very autistic. It's very charts and scenes and this is how it works and this is why it's very emissary like and it's super smart in terms of an emissary knows a fair amount of psychology the only thing that i wonder if the guy knows are women which is hilarious because on one hand knows everything about women but i watch the channel i just get the sense do you know women Now, this sounds like a put-down, but it really isn't, because what I get from the channel is, well, I want to highlight one video, which I thought was super smart, and this is a way in which the mastermind always has to also pay attention to the emissary mind, because it can learn things from the emissary mind, and the two have to work together. Now, what last time I played a little bit of whole math, you know, I don't like I don't like re I don't like re uploads. Well, I'm not going to re upload this, um, but uh, home math, who is always taking from Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and movies, uh, should understand the importance of an illustration. But but I thought even the comment was interestingly enough autistic, and and I don't say that I have. You know, I have you know I have. I have relatives who are autistic. I'll just leave it there, and so, and 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 to me, it's. I mean, the the mass the master brain has got to the master brain has to think about the value of the emissary brain. I mean, problems happen when the emissary brain doesn't value the master brain, and problems happen when the master brain doesn't value the emissary brain. They're they're put together for a reason. If you say one is a pointer, and one is a one is a. Calculator. Let's think about it that way. So um, he starts out with, you know, a little bit from Sex and the City, and then he's going to talk about um, he's going to talk about the things he talks about. Again, this is part of the reason I play it is because. And then he goes into he's he's very much into the um, the integral levels and and again, this is super emissary brain. This is trying to distill an enormously complex world down into manageable chunks. That's what we have to do. Remember, commentary explosiveness, the world is massive. We have to reduce it. And so elements are one thing. Systems of elements are another level up. And so he's got his levels, and Grim Grizz was super happy that, you know, he coordinated levels with the chakras and, and all of that. Now... And then he has this section on music, which I thought was was really good because I don't know if I would have figured this out without somebody being autistic. So so what does autism force people on that spectrum to do? And and this is I think why you've got Einstein and Zuckerberg and Musk and all of these people that are either calling themselves autistic or other people in retrospect calling them autistic because they're doing astounding things. Well, they're doing astounding things because they are up against a wall. <laughs> and that wall is combinatorial explosiveness. And there is so there is so much to try to calculate. And even if, on one hand in the spirit of geometry you're never ever ever you don't have lifetime enough to master all of the variables it's probably the autistic that are going to bless the rest of the world with systems that are very powerful and very helpful so so he's talking about you know people seeing each other so i'm just going to i'm just going to so whole math if you watch this i'm just going to play a little bit could play a little bit. I'm, I'm not trying to steal your stuff. In fact, people will watch this and subscribe to your channel. It's kind of how my channel works. But um, well, I thought this part was genius. It was, well, I'm, maybe it was obvious to the rest of you,
3: but I found it super helpful. TV, you're putting yourself in one of these places. We also do this with music. When I was a kid, I didn't really get music. I'm different. So right there. Didn't get music. I didn't get music. Music, don't get it. I do this with music. When I was a kid, I didn't really get music. I'm different. So I just looked at what other people were listening to. And again, that's very emissary brain. I
0: don't get music. I can't. Master brain gets it. You're on the autism spectrum. I don't get it. I don't, I don't, everybody else seems to be getting it. I don't get it. Everybody is reading subtle facial things that consciously we can't pick up. So that 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 emissary brain and the autism, they are they are crunching numbers like you wouldn't believe and exactly how, and you know, and that's what this channel is about. Which is fascinating to me. It might not know anything about women, but it might know a ton about women. And, and that's the kind of dynamic you want you run into. So, okay, let's 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 finish up some of this. I, th- I
3: thought this was so helpful to me. I saw Mike on these places. We also do this with music. When I was a kid, I didn't really get music. I'm different. So I just looked at what other people were listening to. I saw my sister listening to all these goofy love songs. And I said, why would you want to listen to some guy you don't know sing to some girl you don't know? Right there. I mean... I've got to deal with this word literal. It's a physical relationship
0: that he's he's using his imagination. He's imagining. He's imagining a guy you don't know and, and just all the details. You don't know him. You don't know. Why would, what kind of sick voyeur are you listening to that? It's a perfectly reasonable thing to imagine. And she said, there is no other girl. So I- there is no other girl. Well, of course there's another girl. I mean, so-and-so wrote the song about so-and-so, but not in the mastermind.
3: The mastermind is paying attention, and her attention is on her. I went into some girl you don't know, and she said, there is no other girl. So I went, oh, okay. She's listening in the second person, as if... Ah, she's listening in the second person. If He's singing
0: directly to her. Now, again, someone might say, that's not true. And it sort of isn't. It sort of is. In her mind, that's what makes the music fun. That's that's how, and now we get insight into what we human beings do, how we participate, how we how we move in and out of ourselves how we become multiple people how we
3: become extended bodies how we how spirits arise between us i also listening in said there is no other girl so i went oh okay she's listening in the second person as if he's singing directly to her i also had a friend who listened to a lot of rap music I swear to God, he wore a do-rag with salmon-colored boating shorts. And so I said, why would you want someone to say these things to you? It, it seems really rude. And- okay, see, again, they're saying these to you.
0: And now, most of us would hear that and say, that's what you think? I just... But then if, if he came back and said, well, then what is happening? I don't know. But someone with autism, they could probably figure it out. It comes at a high price. But they're working like crazy to figure out what is music. A lot of the rest of
3: us, I don't know what it is. I just enjoy it. Ah. And he gave me some idiot answer like, this is real life. His father was a lawyer. See? So I thought about that. And I realized, okay, he's listening in the first person perspective. As if he's the one saying these things. I'm the gangster. So it- uh, and then you see and then once, then
0: once you see this, suddenly, oh gosh, we're doing this all the time. We're doing it when we watch movies. We're doing it when we listen to somebody else's story. And on one hand, you knew this already, but sort of the, sort of the, the emissary brain and the calculation and the and, 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 and putting it all this way, it's like, oh, but also notice what else we've gained. He sort of adapted the first person and the second person, these grammatical notations, and now they're relational, and now because we're sort of into bite-sized parts, now we can move them around. Now they're manipulables. Now
3: we can use them. It all started to make more sense. People apply whatever fantasy they want to the media they're consuming. People
0: apply whatever fantasy they want to the media they're consuming. And then he makes a really good, then he makes just a, a really good application. And you, and
3: you can see how, you can just basically see how his brain works. This is Carrie from Sex in the City. Her job is to be a thousand sex mistakes. Here's a scene from the show.
1: I have a question for you.
3: Why wasn't it me?
0: Mr. Big married someone else.
3: No, seriously. It just got so hard. And she's... Yeah.
2: Your girl is lovely. I don't get it. And you never, never
3: did. Listen to that sexy, triumphant flamenco music as she... He nails it. He absolutely nails it.
0: That... You know, what is this coping that she's doing? Well, you know, she's disappointed. Her, her ego can't take this. So she makes up a story. And in her story, he doesn't match up. He can't have her because she's wild. Blah, 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 blah. When the autistic dude who has a really hard time knowing people has identified a dynamic. And, and here's part of the reason why the channel's successful. That little dynamic you can transfer that on YouTube. Now, you can do the other. I should probably, I don't know if I can find that channel. I probably should look for it. Found the channel. White Lotus, the power and the, the power dynamics of attraction. That's 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 the thing I watched. Really nice treatment of the dynamics between these two people in terms of sort of what's going on underneath. And there it is. There's the and what he's doing there is it's very different from, let's say, um HoMath, who's, you know, doing all of the doing all the emissary brain things. This is much more pointing, analyzing, pointing, analyzing, pointing, analyzing. It's it's probably a little bit more of what I do, but I don't tend to just deconstruct scenes or anything like this. But I thought, you know, just an observation, just just did a masterful job with this. So, um, Yeah, I wanted to sort of pull those things together. And because, you know, I keep watching, I keep watching Homath and thinking, wow, there's some really, really helpful observations that I'm learning. But I just don't know if he knows a woman. I just don't know if he can manage a woman. Because, well, there's my wife came across Love on the Spectrum the other day. And I thought, yeah, that. Don't know what I think about that. not that not that autistic people can't fall in love and be married and make that work. sure they can, but Spirit of geometry, spirit of finesse, master brain, emissary brain. Mythos, logos. You need both. You gotta make it work. anyway. Um, yeah, leave a comment.